Today, it's all about dividend investing. Exciting stuff. YouTube's favorite topic on investing, dividends. Well, it's one of my favorite topics on investments. It got really popular with a younger crowd, I noticed. And I was like, well, I guess people are at home and they got money. So they talk as if they are the pioneers of dividend investing. Turns out it's been around for a really long time. And it's evolved a little bit too. Over 56% of Americans don't feel like they're on track to retire comfortably. And it's no surprise. Retiring with confidence is not as simple as it used to be. That's why each week we talk about the many challenges of modern retirement and share some of the best strategies for overcoming each and every one. So that you can make sure you're putting your hard-earned savings towards the retirement of your dreams. I'm Brandon. And I'm Brantley. Welcome to Retire With Confidence. For more, be sure to visit retirewithconfidencenow.com. There's been some changes that um, you got to take note of because yeah. they're important if you want to be a true dividend investor. But today we came with three three things that um, you must know in the world of of dividend investing, and there might might just be a bonus tip. A bonus tip if you stick around to the end. Three point one. Yeah. <laughs> Starting it off, number one, it's about the accumulation of shares. It's not about the maximization of rate of return. And this, this one is, I think, hard for people to really wrap their mind around, especially if they come from the world of passive indexed investor, yeah. like, like Boglehead style, accumulate, accumulate, accumulate. In a world that's focused 100% on what's the expense of this fund or what's, mm -hmm. how much is this costing me? Yeah, I agree. It is, uh, it's a, a paradigm shift, I guess, of sorts to think about it that way, because 99% of all investment propaganda focuses on total return. It's sort of programmed people to think we've got to constantly grow the pile of money that we have through capital appreciation versus looking more focused in a more focused way at how much income does this generate. There's something very emotionally satisfying, psychologically satisfying. With the accumulation story, I think. Hmm. Like, I wouldn't know. It never happens for me. But uh. <laughs> <laughs> There is something, I, I don't know, ego tripping that yeah. goes on when you log into your brokerage account and you see that it's increased. Right. I think there's the more, a sense of security that people yeah. get from that. I mean, you and I both know people, their overall mood and interaction with the world is very much dependent upon was this month down or was this month up? Fluctuates by the day. And, <laughs> I was being and, generous, but. <laughs> and there's there's a lot of brokerage companies that have your running tally of gains and losses, mm -hmm. like by the day, yeah. by the security. Um, but certainly your portfolio and aggregate. That, that, it's got to be that they figured out that that in anxiety inducing number yeah. Makes people do more things and they make more money. I, I don't know what the science <laughs> is there. Um, that's clearly not an academic report, but I just look at the logic behind why would they do that? And I think we're going to talk about it, but those numbers are wrong. They're yep. usually way wrong. Yep. And they vary of, because uh, I have several brokerage accounts. Those calculations vary from brokerage account from company to company. So they don't even do it the same way. Yeah. The daily gain and loss numbers right. is what I'm talking about. Yeah. Right, right. But, you know, I, I think that there's there's a couple things that happen when it comes to playing the accumulation game that mm. people weirdly overlook. And they shouldn't because they, they'd be so much more accurate if they were, they were looking at this from the dividend side. 
So I know because I have personally observed people look at those daily gains and losses and think of them in terms of, well, gee, like how long would it take me to personally earn that much money at my current job? Ah, okay. Because a lot of them are paid by the hour or paid by the week or every two weeks. And they know what that number is because they get their paycheck. they, they, They really think in terms of, okay, every time I get paid, this is how much money I get. Right. So if they log into their brokerage account and that daily gain number is larger than the number that's on their paycheck, this is fantastic. Right. Like, I just got paid again. Right. The problem, though, with that style of thinking when it comes to accumulation investing is the fact that that number bounces around all over the place every day. Yes. So if you log in one day and you're up $3,500, magic has, has unfolded. We're going to Sizzler, baby. But then you log in the next day and you're down $2,000. Yep. We don't tend to net the 1500 thought process very well here. Right. Um, so we live and die by how happy we are by the green and red numbers in our brokerage account, but they don't mean anything because most people don't string them together. They forget to put the little plus and minus signs in between the daily values that they see to right. arrive at what the sum of it is at the right. end of the month, the week, the sure. year, whatever it is. And they've just get themselves completely twisted up to where there's there's just not a lot of rational thought that's going into decision making at that point. Mm-hmm. Now, alternatively, you can look at your holdings and most brokerage accounts will allow you to look at uh, a, a dividend view. Yes. So you can pull up the like a, a, a an accounting of the yes. positions you hold and the dividends they pay and what the monthly or annually estimated income you will receive the from these dividends. holdings yeah, yep, gonna, are going to yeah. be. Mm-hmm. Now, this may be off a little bit because dividends can change, but there's a certain number of, of securities out there that if they pay monthly or quarterly are probably going to stay around the same if your number of shares do not change. So you can look at that and you can say, well, gee, based on this, these holdings that I have, by the end of the year, I will have received... in dividends. Right. That's actual income that you will have. That's not plused and minus throughout the year, the month, the week, the whatever. That's real income. You don't have to sell shares. Right. You still own the same number of shares. Mm Mm-hmm. So now, yeah, I do believe that it takes a lot longer for that number to grow to a point where you feel really special then it will just, you know, you mean in terms of something. overall portfolio value. Yeah. yeah. Well, I just mean in that income thought process. So yeah. like you could get super lucky, right? Like, like you could buy something that just pops one day mm-hmm. and you, you feel like a superstar with that, that daily gain number Right. on the dividend side. It's a much slower moving boat. Yeah. Like, okay, eventually you'll have enough dividend income to feel really special, but that's not going to happen in the short term, most likely. Right. So that, that sort of dopamine hit doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. And that's what puts it at a little bit of a disadvantage. Plus, right. it's actually a part of your portfolio you got to go digging for. They, they don't put that on the, on the login screen, so to speak. Whereas the, the daily gains and losses, it's right there. It's the first thing you see. There. Yeah. Okay. So let's dig a little deeper on this this first point, um, because mm-hmm. I, I feel like we we sort of wandered off the path there. Yeah. Why is it more important to to focus if if you want to be a dividend investor? And we, we're speaking in in the sense of one day, maybe you can I'll just use one example. You can quit your job because yeah. you have enough dividends that come in from your investments, which is a true passive investment because it's you're not having to work. It's not earned income. Are you when saying you can fire your job? There you 
No, I would never say that. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but that's what we're talking about in terms of dividend investing. So why is it more important to focus on the accumulation of shares? And behind the scenes, this is my personal like phrase for it. I just call them income units. Because yep. for me, psychologically, if I think of it that way, it's much more palatable than shares because yeah. there, there, there's just a lot of negative connotation for me attached to, um, I've got 4% rule trauma. So um, it runs deep because it, it focuses on, I'm going to sell shares to produce income where I'm going, nah, I'd like to keep the assets and collect the income and not have to sell the asset. Yeah. So think of it like this. If if you, let's let's say you've identified some asset that you want to buy that pays a strong dividend. Right. Maybe for every share that you own, you receive, I don't know, 20 cents. If you know that, let's say the yield on that is somewhere in the 7% range. Pretty right. good, right? So, so you know that for every share you, you buy or accumulate, you're going to have another 20 cents of income. And let's say that, 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 it's a security that's existed for quite a while, and that 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 dividend's pretty solid over the years. It doesn't fluctuate very much, right. and there are lots and lots of assets out there that have something, or even like better, that. it slightly increases, yep. sort of yep. stair steps its way up. Yep. Yeah, yep. There's plenty, plenty in the dividend investing strategy world that look a lot like that. Right. So you know, every time you purchase more, whether that be money that you contribute yourself or reinvest dividends, you are going to get another twenty cents for every share that you own. The, the one thing about a number of, of assets that would be worthy of consideration for a dividend portfolio is they're probably going to be subject to some degree of volatility. That volatility is not going to be quite as high, per se, as, as certain hyper-value investments are right. going to be looking. I mean, there's a certain technology stuff that's probably going to bounce around more. But there's still going to be volatility. And there's going to be volatility for a number of different reasons. Some are obvious, some are not so obvious. But to your point about shares and 4% emotional scarring, <laughs> when you own shares and shares are your golden ticket, like redeeming those shares for value is all you've got. Right. You live and die by the price of those shares. Which is makes you hyper-focused on the appreciation or... Yep or decline. If yeah. price goes down, that is a problem when it comes to selling shares for the sake of income or whatever you want to do. If you are accumulating shares purely for the income that they generate and shares go down, so what? Income did not. Now you can buy an income unit for a lesser price than you could previously. Yes. This is a fantastic thing, right? So right. If, it just if share... increases your overall yield because every time you do that, you're anyway. If share price goes down, you could buy more. And all that does for you is augment the thing you're trying to do anyway, which is generate more income. So if the position was, hey, I've got enough money to buy 200 shares this month, right. gain another 20 cents per share. And all of a sudden, price goes down and you go, wait, I can buy 275 shares this month. Well, you just got a bonus. <laughs> Absolutely. A, a, and a bonus that will never, ever go away. Because one of the problems that, that, that value investors or, or appreciation investors are always going to deal with is wherever they have achieved in terms of account balance, they have very little guarantee they'll stay there. Right. They're one bad day, one bad week, one bad month away from a dramatically different result where they lose money. Right. Unless they sell it all, which they yep. don't. 
Yep. Or, or they sell it all at the right time, right? <laughs> right. And they got to kind of lock oh, they, it yeah, in. Yeah, they sell it all. This, it's usually when they're down 25%. Right. So. Right. Like you got you to gotta call it at yeah. the exact right moment. Right. And like you'll have wins and losses on individual positions, mm-hmm. but the likelihood you'll hit it for the entire portfolio is almost zero. When it comes to income, it's very, very, very rare for there to be a dramatic reduction in the income that you get from these types of, of securities. Yeah, that's true. Now, it granted, does happen, but yeah. lots of people have stories about owning an individual stock that they bought that was paying a great dividend and it doesn't anymore. Mm-hmm. It happened to a lot of people that owned banks in yep. 2008. Totally get it. Yep. Um, today, though, I, I really there's not that many people who are strong dividend advocates who are telling you to go out and buy Coke, Exxon, um, things right. that were at one time definitely dividend aristocrat favored securities. I'm not right. saying and those they still things, are. Yep. It's yep. just that the whole market has shifted. Yep. Not saying those things aren't still part of the puzzle. They can right. be if you want them to be. But we're talking more about things like um, closed in funds, things like um, certain ETFs that are focused on on dividends. These things tend to be covered call um, ETFs. Uh, but that's but not they could exclusive. just be true value dividend yep. totally. ETFs totally. as well. Yep. <clears throat> um, so those sorts of assets, we rarely see reductions in income. So if you buy because that security dips 25% and mm-hmm. you just happen to find an excellent buying time that augments yield, there's a really good chance yep. that great yield purchase is just going to follow you forever. Yep. And I think this is the most, of all the things we're talking about, I think this is the key I'm not saying the most important in terms of its functionality, but it is the most important thing for you to wrap your head around 100%. If you start thinking, because you and I have had this conversation for the last couple of years, and we shifted our focus personally as every time I'm making a share purchase, I'm buying income units. That's it. Every $100 I put in or every $1,000 I put in nets me you know, $20 a year more in income or $200, whatever the case may be. But for me personally, that keeps me completely away from focus on the portfolio balance. I really don't care. Because fluctuations are going to happen. But if I'm never planning on having to sell it all anyway, that's not the point in buying it. So if your account value drops 10%, right, who cares? Because you're still getting the same dividend from the portfolio. And, and, and your blanket, your blanket protection for this sort of strategy is don't concentrate too much in any one position. That's that's yeah. really all I have to and, say and about that. We should we should have said this in the beginning. This is not individual investment advice. Please don't yeah, take this yeah, as like yeah. don't do that. Well, you always have to look at these things, and you got to pursue what's right for you. Yeah, that's information on the internet always comes with that understanding. <laughs> that's right. One would and that's why we don't talk about specific. We're not. But real we're not quick, giving specific tips or yeah. advice or recommendations on anything real quick the because we've got to move on to the other one yep. the the distribution side of this also works this way mm-hmm. so when somebody has built a dividend portfolio they're not selling shares they're collecting income from dividends if the, a market correction happens it's very rare to see their income go down so they may not be in a great position to buy more because they're really in the distribution phase of their life but if they're if a market correction comes and their million dollar portfolio is now worth eight hundred thousand dollars mm-hmm well, that sucks, perhaps, but it's still cranking out $70,000 a year of income, right? which is what they needed. Yep. So nothing changes in their life. 
Mm-hmm. This isn't the hand wringing moment of, oh boy, shares are worth less. Now, now I have to sell more to raise the same amount of income. I, I hope this doesn't run me out of money at right. some point. Like, right. That's really not a concern inside True. this this investment strategy. So number two. Which we already talked about, but. <laughs> speaking more specifically about those daily, monthly, yearly gains and losses, is a very good chance that if you don't dig deeply into the numbers, you're going to have sort of a misleading handle on what your actual gain or loss or unrealized gain and loss is on a position, especially if it's strongly dividend focused. Mm. The reason being, if you're reinvesting dividends, for example, the brokerage company is often going to take the reinvestments as contributions that you made. Right. And so they're logic, ratcheting up your cost basis. Yep, there, there's, yeah. there's logic for this. Uh, it is a dividend that you received. Right. It is technically something that if it's in a brokerage account, you're going to pay income taxes on. Right. So it is your money. You just chose to take it and put it back into the security and buy more shares. Right. That doesn't happen internally. It, it kind of technically comes to you and goes back in to purchase more from a tax accounting standpoint. So yes, it does effectively change your, your cost basis. But if you think about this in terms of money that I myself took from employment, for example, invested in my portfolio and, and, and specifically and intentionally used to purchase shares in this security, mm-hmm. that's different than just the dividends that were reinvested. Yeah. So if you look at this as a, what did I gain or lose from the income that I contributed from my, my job to purchase these things? And the value that I bought versus the value of this position today, that is going to differ quite considerably from what the brokerage company tells me my cost basis is factoring in all of the dividends that I received. Because remember, if you are, if you are aggressively pursuing dividend investing, you're going to get a lot of dividends. Yeah. So if you've purchased something that has declined in value share price wise, it's going to outsize the, the, the loss that you carry from that. Right which is going to make you think this is a much worse investment than it probably was for you. Right, right. Now, there are certain advantages that this also brings to the table because though you didn't technically lose near as much money as you probably think you did when it comes to your initial investment, mm-hmm. you get to take the loss as a loss. Right. So, for example, let's say you put $10,000 into some position and your your brokerage company is telling you that you've lost 20% on that. So you've got $8,000. But your actual loss, if you think about this in terms of your your investment, Mm -hmm. is not as much. So I just said $8,000. That's not the right number to use. So let's say that that your, your actual loss is like, I don't know, 500 bucks. Right. Now, the brokerage company is telling you that you've lost 20% because it's looking at the reinvested dividends. Right. You did pay taxes on them. They are real. Um, But if you look at this as just a dollars in, dollars out from the money that I myself contributed on the first investment, I'm I'm down like 5%. Right. Which is easy to track on your own. I mean, (laughs) I think about uh, my grandfather back in the day. He always just kept a notebook, like a spiral notebook. So, I mean, a lot of, there's a lot of fancy software that'll help you track that stuff nowadays. Um, But my point in bringing up the notebook is you don't need fancy software. It's, it's not that complicated. Um, If you really want to track your earned dollars into the value. Mm -hmm. 
Again, yeah. I, I encourage people to focus very little on the share price. That doesn't mean you should totally ignore what you're doing and not, you know, if, if you're invested in a company that's doing poorly and they've yeah. cut their dividend and they're not telegraphing that they're going to have some great improvement, then obviously you you have to act accordingly. But do keep in mind that just because you you pursue dividend investing doesn't mean that you're going to invest in a security and never, ever, ever think about selling it. No, definitely um, not. There, there could definitely come times when right. you decide, I want to get out of this position. And there's different methodologies for thinking about dividend reinvestment, too. I, I think you and I differ um, mm-hmm. philosophically on that. I, I tend to be not saying I've never automatically reinvested dividends, which most every brokerage account allows nowadays. Um, it's an option you can choose to just have your dividends automatically reinvested. I pick and choose what I do with my dividends. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I'm still reinvesting them. I'm just not automatically reinvesting them, I guess. Is yes. the, is Whereas the I tend to be lazy and just reinvest eh. automatically most of the time. I don't know if I'd call it lazy. Just a, <laughs> it's a philosophical <laughs> difference. But the one, one last thing on this whole loss thing is even though your dollars in personally dollars out aren't as bad as the brokerage company is necessarily reporting them as, you get to take the deduction on the entire loss as it is reported. So you could liquidate the position, move into something else, yeah, and take a larger loss on that than would be would be doable under a certain under a, uh, just a specific like, hey, I I went out and I bought Apple or Amazon, something with low or no dividend. Right. And it either went up or went down. Um, you you can take advantage of tax law to possibly have even a, a technical sort of money in, money out gain, but actually report a loss. Right. For most people, it's not enough to really make much of a difference, but because it's pretty but limited that can have a benefit. For, for individual investors. Mm-hmm. Number three. Number three. Speaking of, of we lazy investors who like to automatically reinvest, <laughs> there are certain uh, programs that give you discounts for automatic reinvestments. Mm. So very, very much common. Um, well, I'm not saying common worldwide, yeah. but more a feature of closed end funds. Right. Than, it used to be very common on equities when this probably predates you a little bit even. But mm-hmm. um, when there were drip or dividend reinvestment plans where you you did that directly with the company. Yeah, this is back in the days of paper stock certificates yeah. and yeah. and all those sorts of things. Um, and there was a there was a big company called Computer Share, which was like the most vague and weird name ever for a company that manages dividend reinvestment plans. Yeah, but they were like the eight hundred pound gorilla and sort of managing that for companies. But a lot of companies did have a I don't remember five percent discount or something like yep. that for purchasing directly from them. And you can still find those. Yeah. Um, here and there. I would not say it's a reason to take up a position, but it's good to know. And, you know, in the spirit of deciding, do I set up an automatic reinvestment? Do I not? I would argue that if you want to get into a position and it does have a reinvestment program that is a discount, if you're going to set it up, that's, that's the place to do it. Sure. Sure. So don't overlook that opportunity. And those are pretty easy to, to figure out. Brokerage companies aren't that great at, at identifying them. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But you can also very easily go to the website of the, the company that offers whatever security you're looking at and yeah. look at the information there. And that's the best place to get it anyway. Right. Like expense information. <laughs> that's the only source that actually matters. That's all That's yeah. all way more accurate than what you're going to find. Yeah, because, your because they have to legally sign their names that says this is accurate. So... Bro- brokerage companies have very little responsibility for reporting accurately. 
bonus is there a round? Bonus? Bonus, is there a bonus round? Item? Is there a bonus? Or, or should we just be like, no, there's no bonus, but we got you to stick around. So, ha huh. No, there is. And it has to do with bonus dividends. But so Special dividends. Yep. Uh, God, they go by so many different names. But yeah. So there are certainly times mm-hmm. when mutual funds, ETFs, closed-end funds get to the end Even of the year. stocks do occasionally. Yep. Stocks get to the end of the year, look at how things have gone and say, you know what? We have extra cash we didn't think we were going to have. Yep. We're going to pay a special dividend. We're going to pay a one-time special dividend yep. of X amount. Not something that you're going to find any sort of indicating information on when you look this up right. in the research side of, of brokerage. It's not like you're going to get a probability of paying a special dividend or anything like that. Yeah. But it does happen. And um, it happened a lot in the last, I mean, it hasn't happened a lot in the last couple of years, but mm-hmm. in the preceding decade, yeah, it happened a lot because it turns yeah. out companies, well-run companies are very efficient with their capital. And yeah. when they can effectively borrow money at zero and they're making tons of money, they got a lot of cash sitting around. So so think about this. I mean, closed-end funds are a, a fun one to get excited about on this subject. Yeah. Because there's there's an investment option that has pretty consistently had yields in like the eight-ish percent range yeah. for a long time. Yeah. So you get into that thinking eight is your number and you end up at eight and a half or eight and three quarters because there's a special dividend. Some of them are substantial. I yep. mean, I've had so, some that were, I was like, wow, that's, that's nice. That's a lot of extra money. So this, this could be a great bonus to buying more shares. Yep. It could also be a great bonus in distribution to say, Hey, um, we got vacation money or we got special Christmas money or we got whatever it is. We got gum graft money. <laughs> <laughs> Exciting stuff. Cuts deep. No pun intended. Um, <laughs> We got cash for braces. This is, <laughs> it's a new program. It's like cash for clunkers, except for braces. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I threw Brandon off his game. I have kids. Why am I, why am I, uh, why am I? So it's definitely a cool perk to all of this. Right. And it, it, it really changes some of the discussion. Absolutely. Because it's a meaningful number. Like, a bonus is a great bonus and you will get a better yield, better rate of return overall by virtue of this. So um, can't guarantee them, can't can't rely on them, but they do exist. And so when you're in the dividend mindset and you're in the dividend game, these things happen and they are fantastic moments of extra money. So that was your bonus tip. That was it. We've reached the end of the internet for today. So thanks for stopping by and we'll see you next week. <laughs>